Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Welcome to another off-season edition of Fantasy Football Today, DFS. I am Sia Najad at Sia Najad, and I am continuing our off-season series highlighting DFS game theory and strategy, and I have a very special guest with me today. His name is Chris Towers. You know him quite well. You can find him at C Towers CBS. Chris, how are you today? Good. I'm good. I've been, you know, mostly doing baseball stuff, but we're... Uh... We're prepping for the fantasy football season. We've been working on the fantasy football magazine uh, that's coming out in July. So I'm ready. I've got my rankings. I've got my projections. I'm all ready. Chris, that, that's the first magazine I look at when when all of these, the, the proliferation of magazines come out. The CBS is the one, the one I look at. I know you're doing the newsletter as well, and I know you're yep. doing baseball. So you're a super busy guy. Thank you for coming on. Chris, you may know. So we've been doing a lot of DFS game theory over the last month mm-hmm. or two in terms of you know well, how to go into the next season and how to capitalize. We've put a lot of really good content out there. TJ Hernandez has joined the show, Andrew Erickson, Josh Larkey, uh, a bunch of others. Uh, we're going to continue to do some of that game theory in the future. But honestly, for, for the next few weeks, we also want to integrate some just player analysis and team analysis and things of that nature. So that's why we brought you here today to talk about maybe some undervalued guys in, in, in the DFS space. So what I'm talking about is maybe in the first three or four weeks of the NFL season, maybe these are guys that are, are flying just slightly under the radar. They still could be stars, but flying slightly under the radar or just completely under the radar, guys that maybe we can put in our DFS lineups that people won't be paying attention to in the early part of the season. How does that sound? I'm I'm down with it. That's, uh, you know, it's, there's going to be a lot of overlap here between like sleepers and breakouts and and Mm -hmm. guys that we think are undervalued for, for season long as well. But, you know, there are some, some more interesting wrinkles when it comes to DFS with guys like, you know, I'll mention Ezekiel Elliott just to, to get him out of there because I think a lot of people are pretty down on him, and I think for good reason for season long. But as we saw last year and really the year before, he's been really good to start the last couple of seasons. And I think mm-hmm. the issue in 2020, he had that calf injury. Dak Prescott got hurt. It kind of tore the whole offense apart. And then last season, he was dealing with that. I think it was a MCL or PCL strain that he ended up playing through. But... You know, early on in the season, Ezekiel Elliott was quite good. I know there's a lot of will Tony Pollard end up taking over for him. I don't quite believe that's going to happen. If it didn't happen last season, I don't exactly know why it would happen this season. But, you know, that that's one that I think it makes sense to fade Ezekiel Elliott for the season-long game. But, you know, he was averaging over 100 all-purpose yards or total yards per game and six touchdowns in the first five games last season. So... Ezekiel Elliott definitely seems like someone who could be undervalued early on. 
Yeah, I think he's a really classic example of what we're talking about. So you can call it sleeper, you can call it under the radar, you can call it undervalued, whatever you want. The point is, these are guys where the perception doesn't necessarily meet reality. And I think Ezekiel, it's a really good example. Listen, I'm I'm one of the guys that loves Tony Pollard too. Everybody listening, you you guys probably love Tony Pollard too. You probably see that there's perhaps more burst, especially getting to the outside than, Mm -hmm. than what Zeke has these days. But that's kind of the point, right? That means that people will be coming off of Ezekiel Elliott yep. in situations where maybe if you're on him, you'll be one of the few and you can get leverage on the field. So actually, I really like that example quite a bit. And we can get to Zeke when we get to the to the running back portion of the show. We can maybe say a few more words about him. I figured, Chris, let's start with some quarterbacks. Now, the first guy I wanted to mention, and, and I would certainly want to get your opinion here, and he's not going to appear to be a, a an under-the-radar guy. But the reason I'm mentioning him is because I think his value is even greater than people perceive. And that gentleman's name is Jalen Hurts. Mm-hmm. I just I just can't get enough. Like, listen, we have a lot of high-flying quarterbacks in, in this league. Like, you're Josh Allen's. Kyler Murray is a, is a fantasy stud, usually in the first half of the season. Pat Mahomes. Like, there's a lot of guys that can bump Jalen Hurts down week to week in the DFS space. But I got to say, when you add A.J. Brown, and then you mm-hmm. add center Cam Jurgen. So this offensive line, which was already pretty good, is now really, really good. Arguably the top offensive line, certainly a top five offensive line in the league. You have Jalen Hurts, who really improved as a passer last year. He averaged nine rushes per game. And by the way, in the back half of the season, he was dealing with an ankle sprain. So even with all of that, he still put up really great numbers. Um, Chris, how are you feeling about Jalen Hurts this season? You know, the comp that... I, I want to make a comp that, like, don't take it literally. I'm not saying Jalen Hurts is going to be as good as Josh Allen was, but it reminds me of when Buffalo went out and got Stephon Diggs, and they got this, you know, alpha number one wide receiver. Obviously, Stephon Diggs was a little bit more of a dart throw for Buffalo, but I think it's a similar situation where, you know, when when the Bills acquired Stephon Diggs, there was a lot of concern. Well, yeah, he's going to be the w- number one wide receiver after being the number two in Minnesota, but... He's got a bad quarterback and it's a low volume passing offense and all these things. And, and, you know, Stefan Diggs ended up being arguably the best pick in season long fantasy that season because Buffalo adjusted their offense. They went out and got this number one guy. They developed Josh Allen. He took a leap and all of a sudden it became one of the best passing offenses in the NFL. I don't think that's what's going to happen with Jalen Hurts. I don't think he's going to turn into an MVP candidate or be one of the three best quarterbacks in the NFL like Josh Allen has been the last two seasons. But I think it's a situation where you don't go out and give up what they did for A.J. Brown. You don't give up, I mean, two consecutive off-seasons, A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith. They've given up a lot to beef up that receiving core. They've got two guys that I think are really good. I think what that means is that they're going to pass more. Now, Jalen Hurts last season was actually, in total points, he was the number one quarterback through eight weeks. I think he was QB six in points per game. Then they became this really run-heavy team. He he went from averaging 35 pass attempts per game in the first eight weeks to, I think it was 23.8 after that. And he was averaging 19.3 PPR or or points per game and six points per passing touchdown leagues. So, you know, that change wasn't great. They became really conservative. I think they're going to go back to being not pass first or pass heavy, but rather than being the most run-heavy team in the league, I think they'll be somewhere closer to the league median or the league average. I don't think they'll be, you know, I don't think they'll pass 60% of the time, but it'll be closer to the league average. And so that'll mean more opportunities for Jalen Hurts to rack up big yards. A.J. Brown is the kind of wide receiver who he can burn a defense deep 
you know, he's really adept at that. But what really makes him special, he's, he's got that like Terrell Owens thing where he's mm-hmm. great down the field and with the ball in his hands after the catch. He, he can take a screen and go 60 yards for a touchdown. We've seen that from him all the time. He breaks tackles really well. So I just think it's such a perfect fit for Philadelphia. He's I, I think A.J. Brown you know, might be one of the five best wide receivers in the NFL in terms of not fantasy, just in terms of the, the kind of player he is. So I'm really excited about that. I think Jalen Hurts has number one overall QB upside, and he's not going to be priced like that. For sure. Yeah, and I, that's the thing. And we'll, we'll get to A.J. Brown probably a little bit later in the show. But And I don't even know that we mentioned Dallas Goddard. So it, <laughs> you combine the weapons with the what we know is going to be a, a good amount of rushes per game. And, and for mm-hmm. the record, Philly, they have their bye in it looks like week seven. So let me just go over just the first six games. At Detroit, Minnesota, at Washington, Jacksonville, at Arizona, Dallas. It's not exactly a murderer's row. And for the record, in week one, while everybody is playing, let's see, the Chiefs at the Cardinals with a with an over-under of 53, the, the Packers-Vikings with an over-under of 49, the Raiders-Chargers with an over-under of 52, you can go ahead and be at least slightly contrarian and take this Eagles-Detroit Lions game at 46 and a half. Listen, I know we're a few months out from this, but I'm just trying to go through the mental progressions because – for a couple reasons. One is because I think it's important, and two, because it's just kind of fun. I don't care if it's May, mm-hmm. June, or February. I think it's kind of fun to consider, hey, where are people going to go? Where are they going to do their shopping, if you will? And I think Jalen Hurts is maybe a nice pivot with maybe you stack him with a Dallas Goddard or, or an A.J. Brown, you know, yeah. or both. And Or uh, even Devontae Smith, because there's going to be so much attention on A.J. Brown. Devontae Smith, he didn't have an amazing rookie season, but, you know, all in all, he was pretty efficient in a, in a passing in that didn't have a lot of volume. Almost had a thousand yards. I, I think he could be undervalued with the addition oh, of AJ Brown. A hundred percent. Because to your point, especially in the first couple of weeks, people will be looking to load up on what they will believe to be, you know, the more targets, which is going to be mm-hmm. the the AJ Brown. So that might not be the case in the first couple of weeks. So maybe you fade AJ Brown, and you go to Devontae Smith. So that that makes a ton of sense. There's another quarterback I wanted to bring up, and then I was going to ask you if if you had any um, quarterbacks that perhaps are slightly undervalued. Derek Carr is really interesting to me. Now, listen, I get it that he's not a running quarterback. So Mm -hmm. I think that's like the immediate problem you have with him. But typically, guys like Derek Carr are priced accordingly. So they're not going to be, you know, up there with the with some of these, the Pat Mahomes of the world and and the Josh Allens. I just think when you add Devontae Adams and you add a healthy Darren Waller and you take out some of the toxicity that existed last year (laughs) with the coach and with one of their primetime receivers – I just think it's such a great situation in spite of the fact that they don't have the best offensive line. It's certainly not. It's a bottom 10 offensive line in the league for sure. With that said, I just think Derek Carr is one of those guys that if you pair him with Devontae Adams or or perhaps Waller, maybe a throw in Renfro, Josh Jacobs is starting to catch a few more passes than people realize. I think he's one of those guys that if you wanted to pay down at quarterback early, he could really flash with all the talent he has. What are your thoughts there? Well, and especially you look at week one, they're going up against the Chargers. The last time those two teams played, they played, they combined for 68 points in week 17 or week 18. Mm-hmm. Um, he's got the Cardinals, the Titans, Broncos. That stretch could be a little iffy, although Cardinals and Broncos and, and Chiefs in week five even could provide quite a few passing opportunities. You know, it wouldn't surprise me if Derek Carr through the first heading into the buying week six was averaging 40 plus attempts per game. So, you know, I think that's one thing that, you know, he almost passed for 5,000 yards last year. It was a 4,800, the addition of Devonte Adams. I don't think they're going to be more run heavy. 
than they were last season. If you had Devonte Adams, he's got a really good receiving core now. Um, you know, I do think if you're going to go away from a Russian quarterback, Derek Carr is someone that I have ranked right around my top 12 for the season as a whole. He's, you know, kind of 12 to 15 range. If you're going to wait on quarterback, he's one of the guys that I do like. And um, yeah, I think that's an interesting one. I, I think the, the problem's always going to be, like you mentioned, the, the lack of rushing ability. You know, it, it hinders both the floor and the ceiling. But mm-hmm. if you think that game between the Chargers and Raiders is going to be another shootout, you know, 60-plus points, Derek Carr is going to have a good game. Right. And here's the thing. Most people who are going to stack that game, and that game will get stacked, it's going to probably be on the Chargers side. And I don't know what the split will be, but if you're stacking that yeah. game, it's probably a 70-30 split, if not 75-25 in terms of Herbert with a pass catcher, which of course includes, you know, Eckler as a pass catcher, um, you know, Keenan Allen, Mike Williams versus Derek Carr with his pass catchers. Typically what you're going to have is the Herbert stack with a run back of like a Devontae Adams or a Waller, depending on the pricing. I think you could go the other way with it and and bring him back with, let, let's say, an Austin Eckler because Derek Carr is going to be so affordable relative to Justin Herbert. So um, I, I, th- I think Derek Carr is really interesting. Yeah, Chris, to your point, in year long as well. Quarterback. So before we close up, who else, who else are you liking for maybe a guy that is going to bounce back a bit or perhaps is just a little undervalued? You know, I think Lamar Jackson is QB5 in ADP right now, I believe. And I just, I, I really think he still has as much upside as anyone, both on a, you know, any given week basis and just season long. You know, w- what we saw last season, least efficient year of his career in terms of touchdowns. He only had 16 passing touchdowns. I think he only had two rushing touchdowns on 133 attempts. So when you talk about somebody who's going to be better, in 2021 or 2022 than they were in 2021. I think Lamar Jackson is an obvious example. Now, losing Marquise Brown, I do think that's going to to make things a little more difficult. Although there were weird stretches for Lamar Jackson and Marquise Brown where they just couldn't quite get on the same page. The the deep ball, especially, you know, Marquise Brown was getting number one wide receiver type target shares. You know, he was 25 percent plus in terms of target share, but for whatever reason, those two just couldn't really consistently get on the same page. We saw in the second half of the 2020 season, that was you know Marquise Brown's best stretch of his career. It's possible Rashad Bateman, last year's first-round pick, you know he could be that guy that Marquise Brown never quite developed into. And I think Marquise Brown's going to have a good season in Arizona as well. Um, so that could be a situation where everybody benefits from him getting away. But you know Jackson, best rusher in the game. I just I I think there are. Like, he's going behind Joe Burrow in ADP, and I I like Joe Burrow a lot. I think there's a lot to like about Joe Burrow, but I think Lamar Jackson is obviously uh, a better fantasy option than Joe Burrow, unless you just think Joe Burrow is going to, you know, they're going to be a top five pass attempts offense, and he's going to maintain the kind of outlier efficiency he had last year, which I don't necessarily expect. So Lamar Jackson... It also helps that he's got the Jets in week one. Yeah. So, you know, I, I think you could see another one of those. Like, remember that big breakout game he had in his first uh, first game as the full-time starter? I think it was the start of the 2019 season. He was going up against Miami. He threw for five touchdowns on 15 attempts or something like that. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't think he's going to be that good. But Lamar Jackson going against the Jets seems like a pretty good situation to go uh, in week one. Yeah, I like that quite a bit. And and I will point out that other than Rashad Bateman, and I, I for me, you know, the jury isn't 
out. And I know it isn't for you either. I, mm-hmm. I sort of question whether Rashad Bateman can be anything close to a number one receiver. I think he's more of a complimentary receiver, which I mm-hmm. think makes the Hollywood Brown hit maybe even more significant. Although to your point, they weren't exactly clicking those two, Hollywood mm-hmm. Brown and um, Lamar Jackson. With that said, they do have a crop of young receivers that just haven't stepped up yet, but that could be just because they're young. I think Devin Duvernay is included in maybe a guy you might want to, especially early in the DFS season, just might want to mm-hmm. take a flyer on it like a, bargain price uh, you know close to a min price because i think he's a guy that uh we don't if rashad bateman isn't the, well listen mark andrews is the primary receiver at tight yeah. end but if rashad bateman isn't the primary true receiver then it's you know it's a coin flip as to who it's going to be and i think guys like devon duvernay um could step up and be that guy um anyone else at the quarterback position yeah just in terms of like i feel like there's some kind of bad bad vibes around kyler murray in a lot of people's eyes, and I get it to a certain extent, but we've seen him have that number one overall QB upside. In the first half of both the past two seasons, he's shown that. Um, He hasn't been able to sustain it, and you know he's down to QB6 in ADP. I would expect his pricing is going to match that uh, in the early season, and you know, I don't know if, like, I don't necessarily know if I believe the Kyler Murray can only be good in the first half thing. Like it's just, I think it's been some weird situations. He's gotten hurt right around the midpoint of both of the past two seasons. It was a shoulder in 2020. I want to say it was an ankle in 2021 that limited him and he didn't run as much. So, you know, not having DeAndre Hopkins early on in the season, that could drive his price low as well. And Marquise Brown gives this team a a guy to take the top off the defense that they've only had in stretches the past mm-hmm. couple of seasons. And I think that could really, really help him, you know, Kyler Murray have some, some boom games early on. So I'm, I'm just, I, 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 I like him as a bounce back. I like him as a potentially undervalued guy just because, you know, the, the iffy vibes around him. Yeah, and for the record, you know, we talked about it in the afternoon slate on week one. You've got Kansas City at Arizona with, uh, I believe, the highest total of the slate at 53. Mm. And listen, if you're going to buy back in on Kyler Murray, just do it week one and week two and see what happens. And then if he, he lets you down, good good news. You got 16 weeks to pivot to somebody else. And the reason yeah. I say that is because you got Kansas City at home week one in likely very good conditions, and they're at Vegas week two. Again, in likely very good conditions. So uh, the good news there is I think if you believe that Kyler is going to be good more in the front end of the season than the back end, I think it's a really good time to take a chance. And listen, that's not a big secret, right? People are going to look at those totals. They're going to look at Kyler Murray, and they're going to play him. But listen, there's a lot of other high-flying quarterbacks and high-flying offenses to, to play. So we'll see how it shakes out from an ownership standpoint. Chris, let's move on to running backs. The first one that came to mind for me as a bounce back candidate, as a not necessarily a sleeper, but as an undervalued guy, is Saquon Barkley. So yeah. we know Saquon is is two years removed. Well, he will be two years removed now from his ACL tear. He's dealt with injuries over the last few years, including last year and a couple of years ago with uh, an ankle injury as well. The offensive line has been slightly upgraded. He's only 25 years old. Um, they have. No healthy weapons on the outside. I'm assuming Kadarius Tony is going to play. I assume and not be traded. I assume Kenny Galladay is going to be healthy. And listen, they have faced a stack front. He he faced a stack front at the third highest rate uh, of any running back last year. So I'm assuming with the weapons on the outside that it's not going to be as much of a stacked front against Saquon Barkley. With that said, I I know he's still going to get the pass catching work. 
for the most part. He's going to get the rushing work for the most part. And there's not a ton of competition for him. So it seems to me, like especially from a DFS standpoint in the first few weeks of the season, it, he's, a, he's a good player to pick up. And, and part of the reason I say that is because I think people are going to be really tentative with him. They want to kind of see what they're getting first and then play him later. And I think it's a good time to jump, jump on him early. What are your thoughts, though? He's a tough player for me because I, I wonder how much of the explosiveness is going to be back you know, for a year further removed from the the knee injury. Last season, we didn't really see it. And the problem was week one, he only played 48% of the snaps. He wasn't playing a full workload. He was working back from that knee injury. The next three games, he played 84, 86, and 89% of the snaps. But week two, he wasn't great. Week three and week four, he had big games. You know, he had three touchdowns between those games. He had 11 catches between those games with 13 targets. And so... That's the question for me is how much is he going to see the ball in the passing game? We saw him have, you know, not quite Christian McCaffrey at his peak upside as a rookie, but 91 catches on 121 targets. That was with Eli Manning, though. And the Daniel Jones era has not seen as much throwing to the running backs as Eli Manning did. And that's been a consistent issue for Saquon Barkley playing with Daniel Jones. But I think the bigger thing is just we haven't seen very much of Saquon Barkley when he's been healthy the past couple Mm. of seasons you look back the past three seasons 2019 he dealt with a high ankle sprain that he came back early from 2020 he plays a game and a half blows out his knee 2021 comes back week five injures his ankle again misses four games clearly isn't healthy the rest of the season he was giving you know he was giving up playing time to Booker I'm blanking yeah Devontae Booker who is a you know, the, the journeyman of, of all journeyman running backs. So, and who also looked far more explosive at times than Saquon, which, which, was, very, which was very telling. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so is Saquon Barkley just like dusted? Is he just not good anymore? I, I think that's unlikely, but it's possible. Um, but new offensive coordinator and Brian Dable, you know, I think there's a lot of optimism around what he can do for this offense. If not necessarily, you know, I don't think, think anybody thinks he's going to turn Daniel Jones into Josh Allen but if this offense can be a little better a little more aggressive I mean there were there were points last season where it looked like the Giants offense just gave up and well there there were points where they actually did give up against Washington I mean that was literally a play where I think everybody in the world was like I I just I just can't believe you did that they were like on the two yard line they 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 ran like a one yard sneak just to pick up an extra yard for their punter it just seemed very strange yeah, and so I think if you think that offense is going to be better, and I think there are good reasons to expect that, then, yeah, Saquon Barkley, especially early on, if he's going to have a bounce-back season, you know, there's top five running back upside there. If he can get back involved in the passing in the way he was early on, and he's talked about it, you know, the last couple of days at, at minicamp, he's talked about how he feels much more confident, how, you know, this is the first time since the knee injury where he's really felt like himself and he's not going to play tentative and he's not going to, you know, worry about it. And so that's a big deal. That's something that's unquantifiable, but if he feels like himself and he's explosive again, that, that could be a big deal. Yeah. And that's, yeah. And I think that's part of the reason I said that he was 25 years old is because I think somebody with his injury history, and we'll talk about some other guys later in the show. There's a receiver in particular that I think people would be surprised at how old they are. Mark Andrews is a good example, actually. He's 26. I think if you ask the casual person, hey, how old is Mark Andrews? I think they would just say, well, he's 28, 29, 
because he's been around for a while. He had a, he had a mm-hmm. couple, you know, big time injuries over the last few years, not last year, but years prior to that. So um, Saquon at 25, I do think there is, we are in a moment now where we're going to find out if Saquon is going to be really great for the next three years, mm-hmm. barring some, you know, catastrophic injury or whether he is dusted to some degree and he's basically going to be like an RB3 or, or like a middling RB2 for you the rest of the way, if that. So uh, speaking of guys that are super young, I do want to ask you about Brees Hall because I think he's in a pretty good situation, notwithstanding the fact that he, he does play for the Jets. I think the Jets' offensive line is, is decent, for one. Uh, I think with all the pass catchers on the outside, I think you have to respect that to some degree, even if you don't believe in Zach Wilson. Um, they've certainly upgraded their receiver core, just obviously in this draft, but last draft as well. They also have Corey Davis. So they've got at least three great receivers on the team. And Brees Hall, they picked 36th overall, if I recall. So we're mm-hmm. talking about basically nearly a first-round pick. They have Michael Carter, but let's remember he was a fourth-round pick last year. So they don't have a huge investment in him. He's certainly not a three-down back. Brees Hall seems to be in a good situation where because he's a rookie and because the theory is he's going to be somewhat of a split-time guy, that his, let's say, his DFS price is going to be relatively low, I'm guessing, for the first few weeks of the season. With that in mind, do you think he's a guy that can pop early? And I'll just, for the sake of letting you know, they do have to play Baltimore, like we discussed, week one. They're at Cleveland week two and Cincinnati week three and then, week three and then at Pittsburgh. So it's not exactly a great schedule yeah. for the Jets. With that said, if he's the primary back and he's going to be doing some pass catching, is, am I am I am I kind of out to lunch on this one, or or is this sound decent for DFS purposes? I'm I I'm worried about the Jets just because I, I think Zach Wilson looked pretty overmatched as a rookie, and obviously, mm-hmm. like that that doesn't necessarily mean a guy can't turn things around. Jared Goff, Mitchell Trubisky. Um, you know, those guys took big second year leaps, even if, you know, they obviously didn't turn into great players. They became competent in year two. And, and that could be a situation with Zach Wilson, where even if you're out on him overall, there could be room for him to improve enough. And, you know, this is an offense that presumably wants to run the ball, you know, with that, that San Francisco connection, the, the, the coaching staff coming from there, you would think that there's a desire to, get the, the run game going to make things easier for Zach Wilson. The, the, the concern I have is just that Zach Wilson really didn't throw to the running backs very much. Um, you know, I think there were something like 90-something targets for their running backs, and 45 of them came in the, the games that Zach Wilson didn't play or the games that he left early. And so, you know, if Brees Hall is going to be splitting some of that pass-catching work with Michael Carter, how much is there going to be? You know, for the season-long projections... I've only got him projected Brees Hall for like 20 to 25 catches. And that's a really low number. That could mm-hmm. be too low. You know, yeah. it could be a situation where I'm overreacting to those trends. And, and maybe I'm giving Michael Carter too much credit as the pass, pass catching back. But yeah, that would be the concern for me. But if he's going to have that pass catching role, that matchup against Baltimore, it's a bad matchup unless they fall behind early, which you, is what you would expect. In which case, you know, there could be some opportunities for him to rack up, you know, five six seven catches late in that game as they're coming back in which case you know then it's very possible he has a good fantasy game so i would probably view Brees hall as more of a contrarian play you know Mm -hmm. i'm i'm personally not particularly excited about that offense i think zach wilson 
at least based on his rookie season, he's got a lot of growing to do. And I'm not sure I buy that he's going to do it in one year. But, you know, it also depends on how much of a role Michael Carter has. And that's the thing that I'm struggling with. Yeah, and, it, it, and that's I think that's part of the reason, you know, obviously it's early. I think that's part of the reason, like, once you get through training camp and maybe a couple preseason games, you start to hear and see things. You, it, it, it sort of plays itself out because I think you're right. It probably will end up being a contrarian play. But I will say this. If it looks like he has the edge early over Michael Carter, which I, I'm like 90% sure that will be the yeah. case barring an injury, then I think what you're going to have is like DraftKings, for example, pricing them similarly. Well, you'll get, for example, uh, Michael Carter at like 4700 in as a DraftKings price and Brees Hall at like 5000 And if that's the case, then what you're, what you're really getting is you're probably getting like a 70-30 split, but, but the values aren't reflecting that in DraftKings. Mm-hmm. So I think it's an interesting contrarian play, even if the price is that low, because I, I think even if the price is that low for the alleged starting running back, I don't think a lot of people will want to play him, especially looking at the schedule. So yeah. it's just one of those interesting plays to kind of consider and throw in there. Um, I'll tell you what, we're going to talk a few more running backs before we get to receivers and close up the show. But first, a word from our partners. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. And we're back with Chris Towers on Fantasy Football Today DFS. A few more running backs to tackle before, no pun intended, before we get to uh, talking about some undervalued receivers. So the next three names or three or four names I have for you, and we can go through this relatively quick. And I want to ask some of your names uh, that you have, too, at the running back position. But David Montgomery is one of them. It's a bad offensive line. It's a bad team. So I get that part. But I think that's part of the reason David Montgomery is, is historically undervalued. I'll mention he's in a contract year. He's only 24 years old. He's going to get the lion's share of the work. I mean, he's he's he doesn't have competition, essentially. And he's getting around four targets a game. That's what he got last year. I wouldn't shock me if that ticks up just a bit. Uh, with all that said, I think he gets relatively ignored. Is he a guy that you could potentially take a chance on early in the DFS season? Yeah, I I, I don't know. I, I think his value in you know ADP right now, he's going as RB. Oh, he's lower than I thought. He's RB20. I mean, the last two seasons, he's definitely outperformed that. So, yeah, I thought he was getting more credit for that than that. But, yeah, he's going behind Josh Jacobs and James Conner and, and Brees Hall and Antonio Gibson. All guys who, you know, Dave Montgomery, the the two guys who have played at least, David Montgomery's outscored the past couple of seasons. So, 
I do think that's actually that's that might be a better call. And this could be a situation where, you know, this offense is just a lot better than we expected. I don't know. You know, we don't know what to expect from Luke Getze. He was the passing game coordinator and quarterbacks coach for the Packers. He's the offensive coordinator for the Bears now. You know, I'm not sure exactly what to make of that because Justin Fields is a very different quarterback than Aaron Rodgers. But presumably what we're going to see more from the Bears this season, at least I'm hoping, is taking advantage of Justin Fields' rushing ability, not just like many seemingly was very begrudging about using his quarterbacks in the running game. You know, the best we saw from Mitchell Trubisky over his career was when he was running in that 2018 season, I believe it was. But Justin Fields last season, it was a lot of like naked bootlegs or just straight QB draws. There was very little read option going on in that offense. And that seems like a waste of Justin Fields abilities. And then read option quarterbacks, historically make their running backs more efficient because it makes the defense have to account for the running back or the, the running QB and it creates more opportunities for the running back. So David Montgomery, someone who's been more of a volume over, over efficiency guy, he could be more efficient this season if they use Justin Fields that way. And yeah, you know that. Yeah, I think that's an okay call. I think David Montgomery, I'm surprised. I guess I hadn't looked at his price. I've got him as RB 13 for the season. Um, and he's RB 20 in ADP. And, and I would. That, but see, Chris, that's the thing is like a lot of these names aren't sexy. Like David Montgomery's name will never yeah. be sexy. He doesn't have the running style to be sexy. He's not on the team to be sexy. And, and that's why he's undervalued. The, the next guy, and by the way, I have an RG3 helmet right behind me. And <laughs> it just reminds me because you said about the read option, RG3 and Alfred Morris. I mean, RG3 yeah. and that scheme, and that was really more Kyle Shanahan than anything else. But Listen, Alfred Morris was not a talented guy coming out of FAU. I think it was a sixth-round pick. Mm -hmm. And he would tell you himself he's not a super talented guy. But the point is, he was kind of a monster RG3's yep. rookie year because of that scheme. And to your point, I think you know being, being a little bit more creative with Justin Fields would pay off not just for Justin Fields and the Chicago Bears, but also for David Montgomery. Another yeah. slightly unsexy name, Chris, Josh Jacobs. So, listen, he didn't get his fifth-year option picked up. I think that's probably a good thing in terms of his usage because the, the, Raider, the Vegas Raiders can, you know, kind of run him into the ground knowing that they're probably not re-signing him. I think Josh Jacobs is also working for a contract, so that, that's a benefit, you know, that's something in his favor. Uh, from Week 10 forward, he, had, he saw six, no, five targets per game. Uh, again, only 24 years old and not competing with, a ton of guys in terms of being the primary running back. Zamir White, they drafted. They got Kenyon Drake. Any love for Josh Jacobs before I ask you about maybe some running backs that, that you like? Yeah, I think Jacobs is definitely someone who probably doesn't get the credit that he deserves from the fantasy community. He was a little, you know, early on in his career, he was someone who got, one, the first round draft capital. Two, you know, he just had that huge workload uh, as a rusher, 1150 yards as a as a rookie, things haven't been quite as good for him over the past couple of years. But like you said, the passing game role did start to evolve, and that's what he had been missing for fantasy prior to that. The one concern I would have, I guess, would be that Kenyon Drake, I think, missed the final five games of the season. Um, although Jacobs, yeah, he averaged 3.8 targets per game in those five games, so it's not like that was all just when J Drake was out. It, it mm -hmm. comes down, I think, to the passing game role. If you think that's going to be a good offense, if you think that's going to be an offense that puts a lot, up a lot of points, that's a good thing for Josh Jacobs. But 
the presence of Devontae Adams probably means that they're going to throw the ball more near the goal line than they have in the past. That's a good point. That's and a really so good point. There could be fewer touchdown opportunities for Josh Jacobs. And, you know, he's had a lot of games where touchdowns have saved him. He's 21 touchdowns over the past two seasons without a lot of, you know, 100 yard games or five catch games. So if the passing game role that he saw late in the season is something that you can count on moving forward, then I do think there's room for Josh Jacobs to be better than people expect. I'm, I'm a little iffy on it for, for me, he's RB 19 in my ranking. So I've got him right where his ADP is. And I think that's probably right where the consensus ranks going to be. But you know, that early season chargers game, there could be a lot of points there as well. And I think he had a really good game against the chargers and that, yeah, 132 yards and, and a touchdown in week seven and week 18 against the chargers. So you know, he wasn't good against them early in the season, but that was coming off an injury. So I think you can kind of give him a, a little bit of the benefit of the doubt there. Yeah. And again, only 24 years old can probably handle the tough workload that he's likely to get uh, this season. Let me ask you. So I know before the show, we, we discussed Saquon Barkley. We, we went over him mm-hmm. just a few minutes ago. You opened the show talking about Ezekiel Elliott as a classic, great example, frankly, of a guy that's probably going to go into the season undervalued. Um, any other running backs that you deem maybe undervalued or underappreciated or, you know, in that sleeper ilk? Yeah, the I'll say two. One of them I didn't include, but that would be Leonard Fournette. Just mm, the first I time I, I did my rankings or my projections for this season, he was RB6 for me. And it just comes down to that passing game role that he had last season. You know, Chris Godwin may not be ready for week one. Rob Gronkowski hasn't re-signed. We don't know what's going on there. You know, this could be a team that has to lean on Leonard Fournette as a pass catcher yet again. He led, I think he led all running backs and pass and catches last season. It wasn't a huge number because, you know, Christian McCaffrey wasn't there. You know, that kind of skews the, the leaderboard a little bit. But Fournette, I think, could be undervalued both in season long where he's RB15 and in DFS. And I'll go ahead and say James Conner, who's RB18 in uh, ADP right now. I've got him as RB12 for the season and what we saw from him last season was one it took him a long time to get the passing game role you know chase Edmonds was just the pass catching back for the cardinals early on james connor's been a more efficient pass catcher for his career than chase Edmonds. i don't think he has that that kind of i don't think people realize that james connor he's got a 84 percent catch rate seven yards per target is actually really good for a running back so He's been an effective pass catcher in his career, and over the final seven games of last season, he averaged five targets per game, was on a 78-catch, 830-yard pace as a pass catcher, in addition to what we know in this offense is a ton of opportunities for running backs to score touchdowns because Kyler Murray makes them so hard to defend near the goal line that we've seen over the past couple of seasons with Kenyon Drake and then James Conner, a ton of touchdowns. So James Conner... If he's the the primary running back for them, which I have every reason to believe he will be, and if he's the primary pass-catching running back, which at this point, I don't know who else it would be. I mean, Darrell Williams is fine, but I don't think he's someone that, you know, necessarily has the same explosiveness as Chase Edmonds. So I think there's a big opportunity for James Conner, especially early on in the season, obviously. Injuries are a concern for him, but early on in the season, he could be someone who's really undervalued. You brought up Leonard Fournette, and I absolutely love him. And I like your call on James Conner, too. But let me just ask you one question. 
and it, it'll only require like one answer before we move on to talking about a few receivers. Mm-hmm. Who has more carries? Because when you brought up Leonard Fournette, it made me think of Ronald Jones. Who has yeah. more carries for the Kansas City Chiefs this coming year? Is it Ronald Jones or is it Clyde Edwards-Hilaire? I think Jones is the better runner me too. of the two. So I, I'm going to say him. I think Edwards-Hilaire you know, might have more juice in the passing game. Bruce Arians certainly would think so, given how little he wanted to use Ronald Jones in that role. But yeah, I think Ronald Jones is a really good runner. So he, he could be a, a sneaky good play in Kansas City. Yeah, I think he is a potential lottery ticket in, in redraft leagues and, yeah. and you know, honestly in, in DFS as well. Okay, so let's talk about a few receivers. You mentioned Tom Brady, so I, I can't get away from this guy. Russell Gage just joined Tom Brady and company. He just signed a three-year, $30 million deal, quite a bit of money. So it's not like he's just some guy walking onto the roster. You mentioned earlier in the show, Chris Godwin is, is injured. And he likely, my guess is he's not ready week one. You know, I, yeah. I'm not a doctor. I'm not keeping up with the reports, but it's a pretty significant injury. I would imagine, you know, he has some walkthroughs as, as we lead up to, to the season and, you know, rehabs up to week one and probably isn't seeing the field until I, I'm just ballparking it, you know, week three, week four. Even still, Russell Gage is going to be a big time target with Chris Godwin out or even with Chris Godwin in, especially if Rob Gronkowski isn't on this team. But my point is, I, I think it's a really good opportunity for Russell Gage. I'm talking again in the context of daily fantasy, in the con- context of DraftKings, you have Godwin out potentially in the first few games of the season. You got Mike Evans and you got Russell Gage. Now, he's not going to be super sneaky. I think people will be on him, but I do think he's going to be a tremendous value. What say you on Russell Gage? Yeah, first on the Godwin thing, you know, we did in the first handful of mock drafts that we did uh, as a CBS Fantasy team, he was going like third round Hmm. in those drafts. And I think his ADP settled around the fourth or fifth round, like right around the four or five turn. And the, I I don't know, he suffered his torn ACL on December 19th. Right. That would put him nine months away, nine months removed from that, from that injury. Not the surgery, but the injury by week one, actually less than nine months. The average return to play time for a wide receiver in the NFL coming back from a torn ACL is between 10 and 11 months. You know, we saw Odell Beckham. He wasn't ready for the start of last season. It really took him a while to get to 100%. And he suffered his injury two months before. Chris Godwin did in the in the context of the NFL calendar. So, like you said, I'd be surprised if Chris Godwin's ready for week one. And Russell Gage, I was stunned at how good he was last season for the Falcons. His first handful of seasons in the NFL, I thought he was just the definition of just a guy. He averaged yeah. 6.7 yards per target over his first three seasons. All of a sudden, last season, Calvin Ridley's gone. And Russell Gage is like going up in the, there, there was one touchdown where he like mossed somebody in the end zone. I didn't know that was something he could do. So I, I think he's a good fit in Tampa. I think the, the absence of Chris Godwin is going to create a lot of opportunities. And this was a team that threw the ball at 700 times last year. They're, they're going to be a high volume pass offense. And yeah, I think there's a lot of opportunity for Russell Gage to, potentially be a wide receiver too at least for the first month or two of the season he's my wide receiver 36 his adp is wide receiver 47 in uh nfc draft so i think he's just undervalued yeah and i think let alone taking into account the fact that he likely has some nice upside early in the season and and i think to your point of 
the the Godwin injury. Like it could be week four, week seven, where where he comes. Like yeah. I, we're we're all in sort of speculation mode. But my point is, as that as people realize that you know closer into the season, I think you'll see that ADP for Russell Gage yeah. start to come closer to to reality a little bit. Brandon Cooks is another guy. Oh, by the way, they, they were number one, not just in pass attempts, completions, passing yards like this. Yeah. They're, they're going to chuck it around. So I think Russell Gage is going to be quite the beneficiary of that. Uh, Brandon Cooks is another guy. Listen, he's not sneaky per se, but he is the ultimate. Chris, I don't know if you're old enough to get the Rodney Dangerfield reference. You are, sure, right? Yeah. No respect. Like he is a guy that just gets no respect. And I think part of it is people are afraid, especially in redraft leagues, to draft him because he had that concussion history dating mm-hmm. back, you know, three or four years ago. But listen, this guy in six out of the last seven seasons, or I think it's six of his seven seven seasons, he's eclipsed a thousand yards. And if you're worried about Davis Mills, well, Davis Mills and Brandon Cooks, they're they're cooking all day. I mean, he he's got an average of over nine targets with Davis Mills. And frankly, I don't think Davis Mills is that bad of a quarterback. Uh, he's only 28 years old. I think that would surprise some people. I think most people think he's on the wrong side of 30. They don't really have a great number two threat as far as receivers are concerned. Nico Collins, you know, a couple other guys that are that are just don't have much by way of experience or talent. So to me, Brandon Cooks is always a guy that's that's priced properly, but he's not he's not rostered properly. So I think he's another guy that's going to be in DFS undervalued. Your thoughts on Brandon Cooks? Yeah, he is. I think. He's probably been there. There was a period in fantasy baseball where like David Ortiz was just undervalued for like seven years in a row. And it's because he was old and everybody was just like, well, this is going to be the year that he falls off. And it's not quite the same with Brandon Cooks, but he's just been perpetually undervalued in a way that I, I don't think is quite fair. Um, the, the concussions, the fact that he's rarely the number one guy on his own team, although he is with Houston, he re-signed. They're invested in him. And last season in the 12 games that Davis Mills played, he averaged 15.4 PPR points per game. He was on 106 catch, 1,100 yards, seven touchdown pace. You know, I, I don't think Davis Mills is anything special. I think he's probably like generously the 23rd best quarterback in the NFL. But That's fair. Brandon Cooks was successful with him last season. So it, it's not like it's some unknown. Um Brandon Cooks, for me, is wide receiver 15 or 16 for the season. And based on ADP, he is 27. That's just so disrespectful. Like, Brandon so Cooks, like, I get that Jerry Judy has upside. And, and Amon Ross St. Brown was great in the second half last season. But I just, I can't wrap my mind around Brandon Cooks being wide receiver 27. He's going to be one of the most profitable wide receivers in fantasy yet again for probably the fifth time in the last six years. The one exception being that year he missed a bunch of time uh, due to the concussion. But other than that, he's just, I I think he's consistently undervalued and underappreciated. And I, and I can tell you from last season too, from a DFS standpoint, he was consistently undervalued, underowned, underappreciated. So again, we're going to see that coming into this season because you're right. Jerry Judy is such a good comp in terms of what people deem is a sexy name that they want to roster and what mm-hmm. people deem is an unsexy name in Brandon Cooks that they just they, they know he's good, but they just don't want to roster. They just don't want to click the button for whatever reason. So um, I, I just love Brandon Cooks, especially from a DFS standpoint uh, this season. So I had a couple other names, Chris, but I actually want to hear some of your names, some of your receivers that that you really like this year just from an undervalued standpoint. Yeah, I think um... – 
AJ Brown, like we talked about earlier on the show, I, I think there's a lot of concern about that move to Philadelphia, but I think he's going to be just fine. We've seen him be a top seven wide receiver in fantasy on 120 targets. And I think 120 targets is something that you can easily project him for because he's, he's that number one alpha wide receiver who's going to get you know that 26 to 28% target share. I'm very confident in that. So he's someone I think is probably a little undervalued. Amari Cooper, I'm struggling with. Um, you know, when it looked like Deshaun Watson was going to play, well, I guess we don't really know one way or the other, but it does seem in recent weeks, given what we've learned, that it seems more likely Deshaun Watson is facing a lengthy suspension than it mm-hmm. might have seemed earlier. So I'm struggling with that with Amari Cooper because I think he could be a top 12 wide receiver. You know, Cleveland has funneled targets to wide receiver to their wide receiver one in a pretty significant way over the past couple of seasons. I think Jarvis Landry last season was a 26% target share guy. He didn't do a ton with those targets, but, you know, if if Amari Cooper is getting 26, 28%, I mean, if Jarvis Landry is getting 26, I would guess Amari Cooper is going to get 28% target share. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of upside there, but obviously the QB question clouds that. And then, um, like Hollywood Brown, you know, we talked about him a little earlier with that Kyler Murray connection. I think that could work out really well. Um, you know, that that over-the-top ability that this offense hasn't necessarily had consistently enough. Kyler Murray is a pretty good deep ball thrower, so I think that could work out really well. And I think Juju Smith-Schuster is the guy for the Chiefs. I, yeah, I that's struggle. I struggle with it because he's been so mediocre the past couple of seasons with Pittsburgh and you know, you have the concerns about whether he was just a a product of playing in a high flying offense with Antonio Brown taking, you know, so much of the defensive attention away. But I also think Ben Roethlisberger just really held that offense back the past <laughs> couple of seasons. Like he he really hasn't played with a even adequate quarterback. I would say since twenty eighteen. The last time Ben Roethlisberger was healthy before that elbow injury. Twenty nineteen I mean, Mason Rudolph wasn't ready. That Duck Hodges, I think, was starting for the for the Steelers at some point. So, I still think Juju Smith Schuster. You talk about someone who's younger than people think, and it's kind of a meme at this point with Juju Smith Schuster. But he's still only twenty five. Somehow, he's entering his sixth NFL season, and he turns twenty five in November. So, I still think there's room for him to have a big season as that number two option for the Chiefs. Obviously, Travis Kelsey will be the number one, but. Juju Smith-Schuster is someone that, you know, I have him ranked as wide receiver 22. His ADP is is later than that. Uh, wide receiver 34. I think the pricing will reflect that early on in the season. We expect a lot of points in that Charger or that Chiefs-Cardinals game. So Juju Smith-Schuster early on in the season, I think, you know, if he does have a big year, it's going to take a little while for the pricing to adjust because he's been pretty bad the last couple of years. You know, Juju's such an interesting case study. I mean, I think the array of opinions are so wide when it comes to the, yeah. him. And, and and I recall, actually, um, Jacob Gibbs was talking about some of his advanced stats on the uh, Fantasy Football Today and Five show, I think, just last week. And, you know, they weren't exactly um, complimentary to Juju no. Smith-Schuster. With that said, Chris, l- let's look at this roster. I mean, l- like, this Kansas City roster all of a sudden looks very watered down, especially if yeah. you consider how old Travis Kelsey is. I think he's now 33 or will, yep. uh, at least will be 33 
uh, this football season. McCole Hardman, not exactly a target monster. Uh, also not a very good receiver, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Marcus Valdez-Scantling, also not a target monster. Uh, Sky Moore, who already has a, a hamstring injury in OTAs, is my understanding, but also is a rookie. Like, forget about that injury. We're three yeah. months out. Also is a rookie. I know a lot of people are really high on Sky Moore out of Western Michigan, but you know, not a lot of other people were, you know, in terms of uh, of scouts looking at Sky Moore, in terms of a guy that's going to come in and be heavy impact week one. So you go on down the line. I think Josh Gordon is still on this roster. Yeah. There's just nobody. Like by process of el- elimination, you have Travis Kelsey. And to me, you have Juju Smith-Schuster. And then you literally have everybody else. And okay, yeah, Sky Moore might step up early. But I, I kind of agree with you. I, I think – in terms of having a reliable receiver for Patrick Mahomes, I think Juju has to be the guy by process of elimination. And, you know, even if you want to be skeptical and say, well, he was a product of Antonio Brown, he was a product of Ben Roethlisberger, well, Patrick Mahomes is the best quarterback in the NFL, arguably, and Travis (laughs) Kelsey is arguably the best pass-catching tight end we've ever seen. So, you know, that's a pretty good supporting cast for Juju Smith-Schuster to step into. And he's so hard to, to figure out because... Ben Roethlisberger just wasn't willing to stand in the pocket and throw the ball down the field. They just He just wasn't willing to do that the past couple of seasons. I think it hurt Deontay Johnson's efficiency. It hurt Chase Claypool's upside. And Juju, like, it's very rare to be as productive as Juju Smith-Schuster was very early on in his career. I mean, he was 20, 22, 21, 22 years old putting up 1,400 yards. It's really hard to fluke your way into that, even with you know, yep. Antonio Brown taking so much uh, defensive attention. So I think like if you're looking for either season long or early season DFS, like Sky Moore is probably the the guy who you can get super, super cheap or super late in your draft who has that huge upside who could be really profitable. But, you know, Juju Smith-Schuster at wide receiver 34 or, you know, whatever his price ends up being, probably not very much. I, I do think there's still quite a lot of room for Juju Smith-Schuster to be profitable, even if I don't think he's going to be a 1,300-yard guy. I'm not even sure I, I expect him to be a 1,000-yard guy, but you know, 80 catches, 950 yards, and, and seven or eight touchdowns in, in Patrick Mahomes' offense is entirely within the realm of possibility. Absolutely. Um, Chris, before we let you go, uh, and by the way, thanks again. I know how busy you are. You're doing football stuff, but you're also doing baseball stuff. It's like <laughs> completely double duty with you. Um, what are you doing right now that that we can we can see from you on the football and and just let us know what you're doing with baseball right now too? Yeah, doing fantasy baseball today podcast five days a week. Well, more like four days a week for me with with Frank Stamfel and Scott White. Uh, you guys all know Frank. Mm-hmm. And on the football side, fantasy football today newsletter is my primary responsibility. CBSSports.com slash newsletters is where you can sign up for that. Uh, still producing it in the off season, trying to send out at least once per week, updating on mini camps, updating on. We did bold predictions last week from the whole FFT staff. I did my rankings a couple weeks ago, so. A lot of good stuff there. And then once we get into really starting in July, FFT newsletter is going to be in your inbox five days a week with all the latest news, all the latest analysis, you know, unique content that you can't get anywhere else from the Fantasy Football Today team and myself. So definitely make sure you sign up for that, cbssports.com slash newsletters. And I know you're already putting out some football content on your Twitter, which if you're not already following Chris Towers, A, what are you doing? And B, just go ahead and type in C Towers CBS. And uh, you'll find Chris on Twitter. Um, that's our show for today. Chris, I really appreciate you joining us. We're going to have another show 
Uh, next week, actually, Jared Smola is going to join us. We're going to talk about some fresh faces in new places. That's going to be a really interesting show, and I'm sure we're going to touch on Juju Smith-Schuster in that one as well. Thanks for joining us, and we will see you on Fantasy Football Today DFS next week. See you later. Baseball has begun, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today in 5, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Samphill, every Monday through Saturday as we deliver all of your fantasy baseball needs in just five minutes. We'll break down the biggest performers, news, and prospects who could make an impact this season. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found. 